This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Some of the big names that travel up and down the highways, obviously Elvis and Johnny Cash, and you have Jerry Lewis, Hall Perkins. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Johnny Cash suggested that Carl write a song called Blue Suede Shoes that was all kind of created with Aaron Amory. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. From MPB Think Radio, this is Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor and the folks that love to stir the pot. Good morning, Malcolm White with Carol Palmer. Today, we will be your guides through Mississippi and the American South's wonderful and ever-expanding food landscape. Today on the show, we travel to Virginia to talk to Brian Noyles from the Red Truck Bakery, located in Virginia, just outside of our nation's capital. The Red Truck Bakery is one of the most popular bakeries in the country today. With the recent release of his newest cookbook, The Farmhouse Cookbook, we will talk to Brian about baking for himself and for former presidents. Welcome to Deep South Dining. We're glad you have tuned in. We appreciate our listeners and particularly those who... Uh, give us a few minutes, give us a call, shoot us an email. We're always happy to hear from y'all. In fact, you had an email exchange with one of our listeners, and that was very positive that people listen to our show and, and respond to what we say and uh, go check out. The places, I think uh, Sam Boo's got quite a few uh, visitors from our conversation with Joseph Sambu the other night. And... Um, well, the other day. And this listener who calls herself, I think, is it the vegan kitten? I can't recall. Anyway, she and, and her friends went to Sambu's to have the very special injera dish, and they did not have it on the menu. Oh, and, no. you know, she uh, registered her complaint about that and of course Joseph Sambu jumped on the phone called her and explained to her because it was because of the weather right that the yeast did not do right did not do right and they could not do cantankerous this. It, yeast yes and it and not only cantankerous <clears throat> but at this yeah, this dish requires days in the making. So, like the good restaurateur he is, he has invited her party back, and uh, they are doing the meal for them. This is it's good. great to get feedback, and, and you know she she was so pleased and and so thoughtful because it's you know with our family owned restaurants, particularly you know you hate to ever say a negative thing because we're just so darn glad that they're there and they're sure. doing what they're doing. They're making interesting food. But to get better, we have to know these things. And so I really complimented her for the way that she handled it and reached out to the restaurant. That's great. <clears throat> Thank you for, you know, your role in that, too, because, you know, if you hadn't followed up and, you know, we could have had someone who was yeah. displeased we with had, one of we our had guests. quite an exchange. <clears throat> but, Val, I have been thinking about you this week. Oh. As usual. As always. How about that broken stove? Well, it's, What's going on? it's the cooktop. And, uh, you know, five years ago we moved into this turn-of-the-century home in Bellhaven, remodeled it, put in a KitchenAid 
a kitchen, have loved it. Unfortunately, the the refrigerator croaked uh, about year three, and we had to get a new refrigerator. Now the stovetop is out. It's been out for two and a half weeks, and it's been very interesting uh, trying to cook without a stovetop. We have a seven-burner, gas-driven, electric, piloted um, KitchenAid stovetop, which does not work. So, among other things, uh, you know, we ha- we were cooking out of uh, Brian's new book, <clears throat> new cookbook this weekend, and we made a few dishes, and some of them were stovetop dishes, but we put them right in the oven and went on as if we didn't know any better. You're flexible. Got to be flexible. Got to be. And so tell me what you cooked. Well, we cooked two dishes. We cooked the pork tenderloin with rosemary and blueberries, and we cooked, and I say we here, mostly Kara cooked. The roasted heirloom carrots, also with rosemary. And, man, were they good. Were they good. And these are from Brian's new cookbook, the Red Truck Bakery Farmhouse Cookbook. Right. So the carrots were to have harissa on them, but we didn't have any harissa in the house, so we'll get some this week. But we use red pepper flakes, and we'll talk to Brian a little bit about that. About uh, you know how you substitute ingredients when 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 necessary. So did you do any uh, cooking and coping this weekend? What, what's going well, on? Well, I your did home? indeed, and um, I can hardly wait till Brian gets gets on the camera here so I can show him my version of his presidential pie. It's not quite as beautiful uh, as it as his is, but I did this for you in Java. Well, I tell you what, I don't know about Java. I, I can see him in there. He's got a big grin on his face. But I've been enjoying the sweet potato pecan pie. And as I posted this morning, we used to have this pie on our menu, our original menu at Hallam House. We had this sweet potato pecan pie. And we got the recipe from a, a dear friend of ours, Danny Summers, who owned a restaurant on Oak Street in New Orleans called Cafe Savannah. It's not there anymore, sadly. Danny's still there, but the cafe's gone. But he he made a, a sweet potato pecan pie, very much like this one you made, Carol, and that Brian shared with us in his first cookbook, not the second one. In the first cookbook, I, my my strategy was to cook something from the first cookbook, right? Something from the second cookbook, which was going to be the chicken soup. Got everything ready, but I was pretty much pie bound and saving the chicken for tonight. All right. So, and we cooked two dishes, as I said before, and again, the royal we. Yes. Mostly Kara. <laughs> the pork tenderloin <clears throat> and the heirloom carrots, both of which were outstanding. You know, I still find it interesting that you've been and Kara have been married a few years now, but you have always had the kitchen duties. Right. I mean, you were known as a wonderful cook, a very natural cook, and invitations to your home <clears throat> were and still are, well, you know, coveted. But you married a cook, and you've kind of just let her do it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I still cook. Yeah. Uh, but she's the primary uh, cook in our kitchen. She, It's her kitchen, and I, I help. Uh, and when she's not there, I, I cook all sorts of crazy stuff. And I think it's more about her taste and what she likes 
versus the things that I've historically eaten. And I'm all about evolution, and I want to grow and learn. And so and, she brings new things yeah, to Yeah, she's brought a lot of new things to all of our lives, especially on the table. So that's that's a beautiful thing. That's a, a part of the uh, union that I appreciate. She also baked this weekend, believe it or not, besides the pork tenderloin and the heirloom carrots, she found time to bake a plum tart. Indeed she did. And a a pumpkin and banana cake also. Wow. And that's another thing we can talk to Brian about this morning is pumpkins and moving into the fall season here. Absolutely. So it was a, a fun week. Boy, the weather was outstanding this weekend. And uh, I was I spent a lot of time in my yard and walking around in the neighborhood. There was a an Oktoberfest going on at Fertile Grounds, the new brewery, uh, just a couple blocks from my house. Uh, I ate breakfast at the District Donuts on Saturday morning. Uh, I had a taco, which was fantastic. You, wait, 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 wait! You had a taco at District Donuts for breakfast. They have a breakfast menu, a savory it's breakfast. It's not donuts. No, no, they do have don- they're known for their donuts, but okay. but I like eggs and that sort of thing, warm, nice, savory breakfast. It's just one of the benefits of urban living. I now, fly. out in the country, the closest donut we would have is wrapped in cellophane mm. in a Sorry. gas station. Mm. Not good. Java, what kind of weekend did you have? I know you went to the JSU football game, and you were amongst the celebrities at homecoming. <laughs> well, actually, I didn't make it to the um, to the stadium uh, for the football game. I was able to watch it on television. But, uh, yeah, it was a great JSU homecoming, one really for the books. Um, um, a lot of people were out and about, a lot of good friends and a lot of great meetings and um, a lot of good eating. Tailgating, of course, was Always a star of the show, and um, yeah, it was just—I mean, it was a good time all around. I'm—I'm I'm, I'm stumbling in, um, hence the song this morning. <laughs> a Malcolm, long weekend. Have you seen? There's always a lot of smoke around the stadium yeah. when Jackson State is good playing. smoke. Good smoke. This and there's going to be some smoke there this weekend um, as JSU takes on Southern University. So, And it will be on game day, as I understand. Yeah, ESPN game day is coming um, is coming back. So it's We're coming to for the first time, so it's going to be crazy. Well, the Battle of the Bands will be outstanding. I haven't, haven't been in a, a few years now, but that used to be my favorite game with Southern and JSU because of the sonic boom. And the prancing J sets versus right. Michael University. Strahan was here and did a great feature on the drum major, JSU's drum first Latino drum major at Jackson State. Did a beautiful piece on that. Uh, also, I will say this: when you wake up on a Saturday morning in Jackson and you hear sirens and you smell smoke, do not be afraid. It's Jackson State homecoming, and the sirens are for the Jackson State homecoming parade and the smoke is coming from Memorial Stadium, and it's about the tailgating, Carol. It is, Malcolm. Also this weekend, uh, I saw uh, Ina Garden on 60 Minutes. Did you see that piece? I did not, but um, the barefoot Contessa, Ina Garden, she, she is my culinary hero. And I have to say that I learned about her 
many, many years ago, as you know, owning the Everyday Gourmet, and it was like 1983 or 84, and Martha Stewart had just published her first book, and we invited her to come down, and she had so much to say about this little um, store in the Hamptons, the Barefoot Contessa. So it was one of those, you know, first wonderful gourmet stores where you could go in and get fresh food, you know, the big uh, oval things of potato salad and chicken salad. And, you know, she was a real pioneer in that. Did that sort of influence the opening of the Everyday Gourmet? It did. It it influenced a lot that we did. But uh, we were sharing a couple of the things she said before we came on the radio Tell our listeners your takeaways. Yeah, well, I've always enjoyed her work, her books, and her um, her TV show. But what she talked about is that she's not a chef. She's not trained. She did not go to culinary school. Uh, she She's a bit nervous when she's cooking. She's a, a tiny bit unsure. Uh, she's not the sort of toss it in and hope it works out type cook. She's very structured. She cooks her recipes 10, 15, 20 times before she will bring them onto her TV show. She's very rigorous, uh, very structured, but she comes off as so uh, joyful and affable and, you know, have a drink of wine and you throw this in, but she said that's not her at all. Well, she is comes across as very affable on television and so approachable and that's what her food is like to me it's happy food and it you know it's not complicated or she breaks it down so it doesn't look complicated and she her studio where she records her show and where she works is on her at her home so she she talked about her commute to work and she walks out her courtyard door across the the patio and into the studio Pretty cool. I still make her the perfect roast chicken. Mm. That's one of her most famous recipes. But several years ago, my friend Anel Primos, our friend Anel Primos, and I went on the search for the perfect chicken. And all summer long, we made different roast chickens from different cookbooks. And at the end of the summer, it was the perfect chicken by Ina Garten that is indeed the perfect chicken. Well, I, I couldn't agree more. And and she is, as you say, well-known for that. Good morning, Carol. Morning, Mal. How in the world are you? I'm doing great because I see Brian Noyes on the Skype, Zoom, or whatever we have in front we, of us. We've got we're, him. We're on the old-fashioned landline. <laughs> Woo! High technology. I, I don't know if, if it's our location out in the boonies of Virginia or it's just technology, but I'm glad you have a wizard named Java who's handling your tech for you. Boy, you think you're happy. Imagine oh, how we feel <laughs> day to day. Brian, we are so happy you're here. Just for our listeners' sake, you are the founder and the proprietor of the Red Truck Bakery in Marshall, Virginia. You have a brand-new cookbook out called the Red Truck Bakery Farmhouse Cookbook. Following the enormous success of the Red Truck Bakery Cookbook, you trained at the Culinary Institute. Uh, You were once the art director at the Washington Post and the Smithsonian Magazines. You live out in the Virginia Piedmont farmhouse area where you have bought an old home and you bought a red pickup truck from Tommy Hilfinger. And the rest of the story 
we shall get from you, sir. Welcome to our show. Well, thanks very much. Thanks for thanking me for this. This means a lot to me. Well, I've always enjoyed meeting you. I was lucky enough to meet you the first time you were in town with your first cookbook. And uh, then I was very fortunate to attend the event at the Eudora Wealthy House here in Jackson, where you did a signing. Uh, you brought some, you shipped some of your cakes, and and you you, you did a, a brief talk at the Wealthy House. And Carol, you were telling me that you think that was hooked up by Mary well, Chapin. Mary Chapin Carpenter is on the board of the Wealthy Foundation, and one of your buddies, right? She's a buddy. She's a neighbor. She's one of our best pals here at the bakery. She's on the board. Um, originally, it would have been a sweet little event where um, she was going to strum a little bit and then introduce me. Um, but uh, as luck would have it, the uh, date we landed on is uh, the same week that her nephew was getting married, and she was in charge of all the uh, arrangements for it. So she sent down a really nice intro uh, introducing me and the bakery and everything she loves about us, and um, it was read um, to, to kick off the event. Well, um, she has long been one of my favorite singer-songwriters, and I think it's just testimony to the very truism that food and music go together. And uh, I'm sorry she she couldn't have been there, but, hey, in spirit. Yeah, especially southern food. <laughs> uh, she, she the, the the sweetest thing to come out of the whole night's talk was not from me, but from her when she mentioned um, performing in Mississippi one year, and Eudora Welty uh, asked her to come over for tea at her house, and uh, that's that's how it all started for her. Now what that, a, yeah, what a great treasure. Indeed, indeed. So Brian, you grew up uh, in the in Pacific Grove in the land of John Steinbeck, and then you ended up in the North Carolina mountains with your grandmother uh, chasing cardinals in the hedge. But you live in Virginia. Uh, How did you, was it about the work that brought you to the D.C. and then ultimately the Virginia area? Yeah, I'm a fifth-generation Monterey Peninsula guy, and um, I thought everybody ate abalone on Fisherman's Wharf uh, (laughs) until I'd, I'd fly east where my grandmother lived in the mountains uh, outside of Asheville, North Carolina, and uh, she took me to a meet and three, and I didn't recognize a single darn thing on the menu. I mean, I'd never heard of collards or okra and stewed tomatoes, so I asked her to order. So she had previously been a one-room school house school teacher, so she told me that, well, it looks like I have a little project on my hands, and so we went to her house. I was 12 years old, my first flight out to see her, and she said, go grab the buttermilk, we're going to make some biscuits. And so every year I'd come back and I would learn to cook Southern um, at her knee or elbow. Um, eventually, uh, Ben Bradley from the Washington Post hired me to redesign the Sunday magazine and, uh, of the Post and to be uh, art director there. So now I was with an uh, you know, a, an afternoon's drive of, of Hendersonville, North Carolina. So the Southern studying continued. Wow. Well, <clears throat> I w- wanted to say to you that we we cooked, uh, my wife Karen and I cooked out of the cookbook, the new cookbook this weekend. I wanted to to say to you that the pork tenderloin with rosemary and blueberries was outstanding. Oh, good. The yeah, very sauce, fragrant. The sauce, uh, luckily, 
we made extra sauce. So we will be having rosemary and blueberry sauce for perhaps some other uh, entree uh, in the next day or two. But but the dish was, was outstanding. I love the combo of rosemary and blueberries. I'd never thought about that. But that really went well. And <clears throat> we, we didn't – we had – so we had the apple cider vinegar, but we didn't have the apple cider itself. So we just chopped up some apples and threw in there. Perfect. Or, or, or anything, any kind of juice would have worked in there. Orange juice would be perfect. Um, yeah, that, that makes a good point that uh, the first cookbook was a bakery cookbook, and it was full of cakes and pies and biscuits and rolls. And the second cookbook, um, I was kind of inspired by the pandemic and being locked up in my farmhouse and it became kind of a salute to our local farmers who, when the pandemic hit, they were still growing, but they weren't selling, and uh, nobody was going to a farmer's market. So I kind of kind of used that as inspiration for many savory dishes as well. Um, Mid-July tomato pie. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of soups and stews in there. That mid-July tomato pie photograph uh, it, it just blew my mind. I can't That's wait to I can't wait till next summer when the Mississippi tomatoes are, yeah, are back in that's season. Yeah, one thing about some farmers market ingredients, I mean, once they're gone, you you gotta wait. <laughs> yeah, you gotta there's, wait. There's many, and they're like like what Malcolm did. Um, you know, that's a year round thing. Yep. Well, I I went the other direction. I was gonna try to do one from both cookbooks, but. I got uh, stuck and waylaid by making the presidential pie, the sweet sweet potato pecan pie. It appealed to me because when I read it, I realized I had everything I needed in my kitchen, and I live about 45 minutes yeah, out in the country, too. So besides being a gorgeous pie, I just thought I'd start. I'm going to show you my pie can you see it there? How about that? That's great. Yeah, you left I'll, out two words in the name. I hope you you included with bourbon. Yeah, with bourbon. <laughs> with bourbon, yes. And then it gave me a chance to bring my um, my pie basket, which I haven't haven't used. And Malcolm and Java were asking me about that because they had not seen a, a pie basket. But it's a wonderful old-timey, made-in-Vermont, woven basket, and it's square, so it easily holds, you know, the round shape of the pie, and then it has a little stair, a little lift in it, so you can actually put two pies, you put one pie at the bottom, put the little stand over it, and uh, can, you know, carry two pies, so it was... Just a wonderful opportunity to carry around my pie basket this morning. Well, let, let me interrupt and say I have that very same basket. It's got that great little table inside for two pies. Uh, and and uh, the farmhouse cookbook was photographed at my farmhouse, so I ripped out our laundry room really quick and turned it into a pantry. And it all looked photo perfect except for all the wires of the routers. So I took that that pie basket it's sitting on the top shelf and it's got all my phone modem stuff in it and it's because it's open weave the signal still goes through there so oh, it, wow. it looks nice and, and pretty until i need to um, <laughs> take some pies somewhere yeah and i'm sure that basketville and putneyville vermont 
is still the the maker of this. I had a gourmet store for many years, and we we sold these. So uh, it's a wonderful gift for our listeners who are are pie bakers. Right. Well, I was when, thinking. When they went, go ahead. I was thinking a marketing opportunity as maybe a red truck bakery pie basket in the future. There you go. I was after, uh, someone was after me about doing that with a nice wood burn logo on it. And I, th- I think it was a Vermont or New Hampshire pie basket. Basketville. Hmm. Right. That's probably exactly who it was. So let's pursue that. That's a great idea. Well, you know, speaking of the photography, uh, Angie Mosier uh, photographed this. And we were fortunate last week to have Vish on the show. And his book was also photographed by Angie. So we've been blessed back-to-back weeks with her amazing photography and art. And and Malcolm and I became, you know, friendly with Angie back in our early Southern Foodways days. So she's been on the scene quite a while, and she herself is quite a baker. She is. She's a good stylist, food stylist as well. And in the first cookbook, she did all the food styling plus all the baking for the photography. And I knew I wanted her to shoot this second book. So um, she came. She said, yes, I'll drive up to your farmhouse. And we were there a good week or so during just a sweltering, hot and humid period. But um, it all came out really great. And I finally, for the first time since the book came out, was able to give her uh, a big squeeze and hug her neck at the SFA conference this week. And I posted that picture of the two of us on our Instagram page. And then Vish, of course, was there, too. So it was a very triumphant <laughs> meeting. <laughs> Get together again with, with Angie, who, who's so good. And this is the Southern Foodways Alliance in Oxford, Mississippi. And it was founded by our friend John T. Edge and a group of Southern culinarians, I would say, because not just chefs, but food writers and a group uh, back in in the 80s or early 90s. Yeah, I think this is their 25th anniversary. Uh, We all got gravy boats with a 25 on it. Fantastic. Well, we've been to many, and I served on the board for years, but uh, we're not going to miss the next one. Yeah, that, that, well, you, this was the one that, to go to. It was all about barbecue, mm. barbecue. You know, I went on the SFA Texas barbecue uh, field trip back in back in the day. Back in the day to Austin, and that was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was their third revisit to um, barbecue. It mm. tells you how important it is to the South. Well, just just one footnote to history. Uh, of that when we had the first maybe 10 Southern Food Waste conferences in Oxford, they were all held in the Barnard Observatory where the Center for the Study of Southern Culture is housed. And the room only held 80 to 100 people. And that was part of the charm of the conference that it was you know, a very close-knit group of people. And when the topic of barbecue was assigned, it meant that we had to grow because mm. people came, wanted to come from all over. And we just, you know, we had hundreds of applications. And so it was a very difficult decision. It's like, how will we do this if it's not in just this one room? And the rest is history. It's now all over Oxford. It's beautifully done. And it serves um culinarians from all over the country southern food is you know it 
it lives way beyond the South. Yeah, in, in honor of uh, the SFA's humble beginnings, you'll be happy to know that we had our lunch yesterday, uh, our coffee yesterday at the Bernard Observatory, and then lunch outside in the Grove right across the road. Mm. Um, so we were back on home base for a short while. That's great. And you're already back in Virginia. Yep, that was a quick flight home last night. <laughs> okay, so when was the second book released? That came out in August, uh, August 2nd. And um, originally, Vish and I had the same uh, pub date, so we're, we were kind of duking it out via email and Facebook. But uh, for some reason, his then got delayed a, a week or two. So I was I was out there first peddling it at, at events and he caught up to me pretty quick. Uh, we're crossing paths uh, in a few places, including the Texas Book Festival, uh, in a, another week or so. But um, this is this. It was kind of written during the pandemic. Um, it was inspired. Uh, I, I had a shoulder replacement, so I was down for the count anyway. And uh, just as our governor shut down the state, so uh, we we kind of held hold up out at the farmhouse. Um, I brought my grandmother's recipes with me, and I was going to play with some more food for the future offerings at the bakery. And um, I saw online that people also in the same boat were starting to bake their way through the first cookbook with their family. I mean, dads were posting pictures of muffins made by their daughters. And then this woman in Seattle at a, a home design store who, that sold our first cookbook, posted a video on Instagram of a, of a district judge out there um, and, and the judge's grown daughter, and they, the video is about them baking their way from the very front cover to the very back during the pandemic and kind of bonding over it. And so they had a lot to say about family comfort food. And so um, I thought, well, shoot, there, there's perfect inspiration for a second cookbook. So... Um, that turned into um, the, the new project. And, in fact, I'm going to go out this weekend to a Seattle bookstore and with that woman, the, the district judge, and we're going to yak about the book for an hour or so with cake. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we had a similar experience. Well, not not with the book, but we st- Malcolm and I started a site on Facebook the first week of the pandemic called Cooking and Coping gathering around the virtual table. Our friend Leanne Galt put up the site for us. Uh, She's a lot more social media savvy than we are, but our intent was just to have a way for our listeners to keep keep up with us. And we're now over 5,500 people that join the site and post. And it was wonderful seeing so many of your recipes, and we still do, that that okay. people cook from all of the all over the country. So we kind of knew what was going on in your kitchen and we know what some of the great recipes are. Um yeah, southern sweet tea sweet tea cake is one I'm definitely gonna make and the uh gooey cinnamon rolls uh I think even I can do those. These those are the are orange pecan Yes, in the new cookbook are the orange pecan rolls, which are, boy, they will just, um, just that aroma will just fly through your house. Um, we, speaking of, of sweet tea, I, at the Eudora Weldy house, we officially unveiled our new 
very southern cake. It's too late for the new cookbook. It came out at, um, just this late spring, early summer. Uh, but I, I had the name before I had the cake, and I, I knew I wanted something called Honeysuckle and Sweet Tea. And so it's like, <laughs> where else to roll that out than in Eudora Welty's garden? And um, that we were serving that. That's a big hit. Um, also, what we served there, just I want to mention because of the Mississippi connection, is um, we have good friends at Cathead Distillery in Jackson. Oh yeah, and and I I was kind of taken with their honey with their um, hoodoo liqueur. It's a chicory liqueur, so I thought that lent itself pretty well to a really rich chocolate cake. So we um, we had plenty of those around on on over the weekend. In, well, in the Jackson picture well. of the hoodoo cake looks it's totally evil. It, 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 as I said in my copy, it, with a with a sparkling moonlit sprinkle of assorted sugars, but um, supposedly they they bottle their hoodoo uh, under a full moon and at six six point six proof. Which, um, it definitely is a Halloween cake. Wow. Well, that was a good one. Uh, I enjoyed before I got out of there. I, I enjoyed a few slices of cake. And it was a really wonderful event. What a great day it was to be out in Miss Welty's garden and to have you in town. And and to have, uh, <clears throat> in spirit, Mary Chapin Carpenter. Yeah, that yeah. was great. But you, here, here's what I left with. Those, those people, that, that team behind the Eudora Welty house and garden, are so sweet and so hospitable. And at the very end... Uh, one, one of the directors, I guess she is, of, of the house itself, came back up to me with dirty, muddy hands and said, I just took a cutting from the yard of Eudora Welty's night-blooming cereus, uh, which is uh, like a cactus that blooms one night a year. Uh, so evidently Eudora would send out a note right beforehand saying, we are having a serious evening tonight. <laughs> and so all their friends would show up to watch that cactus bloom. Yeah. So I, 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 it means so much to me. I mean, it, it was already a family heirloom, and here it was sitting on the hotel windowsill until I could pack it and get it home. Yeah, what a beautiful memory. And, in fact, the women who work in the garden, I believe, called themselves the serious Gardeners. Serious <clears throat> gardeners, that's great. Right. And I have C E R E U S. U S. Yeah, yes. I'm starting Seriously. to do a little homework on that already. I actually, Brian, have a cutting from my grandmother's night blooming serious. Oh, is that right? And uh, I used to keep it inside. I didn't know this until uh, I had had it for many, many years. And that is, it doesn't bloom unless you take it outside in the spring and summer because the moths do all of the heavy lifting that makes the plant bloom so you'll have to put it out in warm weather and bring it in and cold to get it to bloom now mine have started blooming a couple of times a year shockingly i thought they only bloomed the one time and that's what my grandmother always told me and i remember gathering on her front porch for the event when it would bloom but this year mine have bloomed one of them has bloomed three times and the other one well i have four has bloomed twice shocking to me well, so, you're doing something right, and, and that would increase your party budget. <laughs> There'll have to be more cakes from your cookbook if it keeps blooming like this. Well, while well, we're in the 
middle of talk, a great memory of talking <laughs> food. I really wanted to explore a little bit your career as a graphic designer, and you know, I truly believe that we can reinvent ourselves many times on this journey in life. And your work as an art director was not just a blip; it was a serious career for decades. It was 30 years, 35 years maybe, of being an art director for um, newspapers and publications. I started at the Washington Post and went to Smithsonian and Preservation Magazine, and then went back to the Post again. Um, and it was, I was the guy that would always bring in, you know, cakes and wacky foods to the office. We had a staff meeting every Tuesday among the newsroom, and um, everybody got a different person got assigned each Tuesday to bring food, and every week it was bagels until it was my turn. And my editor told me he loved when I when it was my go around because um, the staff headcount increased at least by twofold. Uh, but I, I instead of bagels, I was bringing in frangipan tarts or some kind of butternut squash <laughs> quiche or something. What a, what a um, popular guy! Yeah, you know, when so, I so, saw I saw your first cookbook, the thought came to me that I mean, you not only were a designer, but you designed a life and the farmhouse and the red truck that you bought to. You know, to take your goods to these different different fairs. Is your eye for graphic design? You know, you put that to work on your own life and now in your your bakeries. Well, I, I, into my head was hammered long ago three words: presentation is everything. So, um, the, the two bakery locations are pretty well art directed to death. I mean, they're very charming. They're not overdone, but they're they're like you like it should feel like. Um, the new location looks like a, a, we're in an old 1922 pharmacy, and uh, it was gutted, but it, it kind of looks like maybe a pharmacy might have looked back in the day. Uh, our first location was in an old uh, 1921 SO service station, but they're both very charming uh, locations. Um, when we bought the farmhouse long before there was a bakery, I knew that old place needed an old red truck out front being the art director that I am. And I found one online, as Malcolm pointed out, it, it turned the seller turned out to be Tommy Hilfiger. So um, I was driving that truck after working at the Post on Fridays um, and baking out of the farmhouse. I was driving it to a couple of country stores nearby, and it just started being referred to as that red truck bakery. And uh, um, at, at one event, um, a food writer for the New York Times named Marion Burroughs had our, our cakes at a picnic in Rappahannock County and um, called me up the next week and said, uh, you wouldn't mind if I wrote a story for the New York Times food section about your bakery, would you? <laughs> like, well, not at all. And uh, I had this tiny little website, you know, it was, it was fledgling and there were 24 hits on one day and then the next day when that story showed up on the front page of the food section of the New York Times, it went from two dozen to 57,000 hits, and I just figured, <laughs> okay, now's the time to, to pursue this. Definitely. So, well, uh, Marion Burroughs is certainly an icon in the industry, and when she speaks, 
we all listen because mm. she is it. She is the authority. Well, she put us on the map, and I tell her that every time I see her, she she swings by here mm. often. As did Jane and Michael Stern, you know, another great uh, a great cu- couple who have put a lot of people on the road. Mm. Well, that that was my inspiration, and I give them full credit in the book because you know I moved to. D.C. from California, and I didn't know anything out there, but I didn't want to go to chain restaurants, and um, I bought road food, and it was in the glove compartment of the car, so as I'm exploring the mid-Atlantic and the south, um, you know, I pulled that thing out of the glove compartment, and, you know, and pretty soon I just thought, this is the kind of place I want one day, <laughs> and I, I mean, it, it was kind of my Bible, I mean, for barbecue or, or you know, meatloaf or whatever, and we opened up that bakery, and darned if Jane and Michael Stern didn't walk in one day. <laughs> oh, my God. You're responsible for all this, I told them. I, I hadn't met them before, but there they were. Well, that that is wonderful. And, and just one more comment about the red truck. And this is for our listeners who do not have the cookbook and cook books, and we hope you soon will. This is not just a red truck. This truck is really, really, really red. And it's... A graphic designer, I'm sure that it's like a a deep cherry. It's a and thing it's of a beauty. It's a 1954 Ford F100, and it's a Ford O-Matic, one of the very first um, automatic uh, trucks or cars of any sort that there was. But um, it, it's it's a beauty, and um, it, it, it's parked out in front of our first location still. We'll have to get you to bring it to cruising the coast. Yeah, <laughs> down on the you Mississippi tra- Gulf Coast. Actually, they, uh, you can trail it down and uh, and just and be seen. Yeah. We we did that at the Billy Reed Shindig in Florence, Alabama. It's the only time we've taken it uh, on a big road trip. Although we've been to the Garden and Gun Jubilee several times with it. I mean, there's nothing like a red truck. And I'm so glad that Tommy Hilfiger didn't have a blue or a green truck because <laughs> you know at Christmas time. Every single napkin or placemat or basket or something has a red truck with an old red truck with a big wreath on the front. It's like it's, it's everywhere. Or, or a, a Christmas tree in the back. Yeah. Yes, but, and definitely that, as, as do our cookies at, at Christmas. Well, switching from sweets to savory, uh, I believe our listeners would enjoy hearing about your famous tuna sandwich. Oh my God, that started it all. I was uh, I was like 19 years old. I was a, just a kid in in Southern California at this point, and I was the art director of a little weekly newspaper in Newport Beach. And um, the I helped redesign that thing, and um, it was gorgeous. And on the front page of the of like the style section, we called it a coastal living. Uh, we had a big profile on our most famous resident, and that was John Wayne. And um, so I went over with the writer, knocked on the door, and the maid opened it up, and she knew we were coming, and we picked some photos off the wall and borrowed them. So we copied those. I had to carry them back to her. I set up a time to meet meet the maid um, after we had cut them out of the frames and then reframed them. And uh, it was a heavy box for a 19-year-old kid. And so I'm standing there at the door. I had just eaten lunch. So I kicked the door with my foot as a knocking. 
And somebody was pissed off by that and yanked the door open. And here's John Wayne looking at me saying, what, what are you doing? And I, I said, oh, sorry, these are, we borrowed these. And he just looked at me and says, you want a tuna sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> I just eaten. I thought, there's no way in the world I'm not doing this because I want to tell this story 50 years later. <laughs> and, and so he, he made a tuna sandwich in his, lunch, in, in his kitchen for me. And he showed me how he smashes his potato chips down at the very end for that extra crackle crunch. And I just thought, man, this, this is a world of difference. But it also taught me that there, there really are no rules in food making. And, and that really inspired me. Just do your own thing. Yeah, I think uh, I love thinking that John Wayne crunched potato chips in his tuna salad. It's good enough for, <laughs> for John Wayne. It's good enough for us. And so is this still I, I one thought of your John best? John Wayne chopping celery. <laughs> he didn't cut his finger, did he? <laughs> no. So, uh, tell I didn't us, get too near him. I'm waving that knife around. Uh, tell, tell us the other ingredients that John Wayne put in his tuna fish. There, there were pickles. Um, I, he, I, he also told me about sprinkling salt in there. I mean, as if there wasn't enough salt with the potato chips. But I really learned that later just playing around with it, that there's something about salt that just makes the, the flavor tuna bloom in a, in a tuna salad sandwich. Um, and then so he had his cucumbers or pickles and lettuce and lots of mayo. Uh, and then those chips... I think they were ruffles. I think <laughs> <what> I <used>. <laughs> <laughs> ruffles hold up better in Tennessee. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, Nothing they're smashes better than ruffles. Yeah. So do you serve this on your menu? We Well, we have tuna sandwiches, and I tell that story. And right next to the refrigerator door where the grab-and-go sandwich are, sandwiches are is our uh, little dispenser of different kinds of chips from our area. Okay. Well, Malcolm, we don't have long to go, so I would like for Brian to – Tell us how we can get his things because now Absolutely. they are available to be shipped in the air. Yeah, well, we know yeah, where exactly. you can get the book at Lemuria yep. or that, any independent the, bookstore. Square that's Books and Turn Yeah, at Square Books in Oxford and Lemuria in uh, Jackson. I left him loads of copies of both books signed. Um, they're available anywhere. I'm, I'm a big supporter of independent bookstores, so I mean, people know where else to get them online. But that's I'd, I'd love for them to go to their their local bookstore. Um, if if you want them signed, and in fact, if you want them personalized, and we're doing a lot of that lately on our website, we we offer the book as well, um, which is also where all these cakes are. We can't. You know, right now I'm getting so many questions about shipping pumpkin pies, but can you imagine what that would look like after UPS <laughs> threw it from a truck onto your front porch? <laughs> so so we make cakes. a lot of pies. I'm in the middle of crafting our, our email right now, the blast to locals about oh, get your orders now for Thanksgiving. And But it also goes to nationwide uh, folk customers who have bought our goods. So um, I have to clarify that we don't ship. Fresh fruit or pumpkin pies only are more stable. Mincemeat pie, um, two kinds of uh, pecan pie. One has bourbon, and uh, then a Virginia peanut pie. Um, but otherwise, there's plenty of cakes in there. There's right now it's Shenandoah apple cake time. We're right here in the middle of apple country, so that's a great Thanksgiving cake. Um, but RedTruckBakery.com has it all. But that, that's where to get a, a book 
personalized for Christmas if you'd like to do that. And that's where people can follow what's going on in your world. And besides ordering cakes and books, they can sort yeah, of yeah, keep yeah. up the with website, you. Yeah, the website's really about us and what's going on. Um, I'm, I'm a big social media guy right now, and um, I, I try to keep up with it on Facebook, but our, our Red Truck Bakery Instagram page is is great because that's where I just throw all kinds of great photos. Um, as soon as I pot that Night Blooming Serious later today at the farmhouse, I'm going to post a picture of that and tell a little story about it. But yesterday I posted a picture of my my salute and hug to uh, our photographer, Angie Mosier, after I saw her at the SFA. So lots, lots of fun little things on our Instagram page. Hey, Brian, while we were on the air, I got a text from one of our listeners that said the official name of the Eudora Welty Gardeners is the Serious Weeders, like ah, Serious weeders. Readers. Oh, okay. Oh, that's good. Very good. I'm learning everything. And they had <laughs> turned me on to, to um, Miss Eudora's Christmas eggnog. There you and go. And, of course, as other people do, they wag, wag their finger at me and say, this should be a cake. <laughs> so I'm, I'm working on that right now. That, that eggnog cake. I like it. Yeah, and I'll... I'll Miss Welty's I'll, eggnog cake. Exactly. Mm. I'll include her name in or it. Or Miss Eudora. I don't know. Miss Eudora's yeah. eggnog cake. That's a, that's a winner. So what's the next book? You know, I've kind of been playing around with, um, on December 26th last year, after Christmas, I posted on Facebook a note to all our followers saying, what did you not eat for Christmas that you sorely miss? And where I was going was like that great-grandmother's cake that that used to show up and nobody makes it anymore and they pine for it. Or, or if you have a, a grandmother from Austria or something. So um, I got a whole list of kind of long-lost desserts, and I, I just kind of want to do a big book on called Dessert Revival and just some of the things that are no longer around. They don't have to be old. might be Mr. Doris' eggnog cake in there right. one day. I will uh, put in a plug for Sassafras. Oh, I'm a big fan of Maybe that. Maybe sassafras tea cake. That's good. Well, in the first cookbook, there's a, um, a bourbon cake um, with root beer, and it, it's based on a cocktail that I had in Louisville, Kentucky, that was made with sassafras. Wow. And uh, that was pretty good. Although a later <clears throat> cake I had, or a later drink I had, was full of fresh ginger and bourbon became uh, its replacement case. Well, Brian, we certainly appreciate you joining us today. It's been fantastic, and we, we thank you for adding to our comfort that we create, and thank you for these books and these fabulous foods, these recipes. It means a lot to us, and we look forward to having you on again soon. Well, thanks very much. That was great and very fun. All right. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by the generous contributions from folks like yourself, and we thank you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman. For my co-host, Carol Palmer, our guest, Brian Noyes, and myself, Malcolm White, we ask you to join us next Monday for more Deep South Dining. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.